Chapter Twenty Three of The Story of a New Zealand River by Jane Mander. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Three. Alan Ross stared spasmodically at the small pale blue object, wondering what it was. It had not hung on the door the night before. He would swear to that. He closed his hot, tired eyes, but each time that he opened them, it was still there. Presently he made out that it was round and woolly but further effort to account for it became too wearying soon afterwards he made another discovery somebody had taken the varnish off the door he was glad for he hated varnish after a short doze he once more studied the blue woolly object he felt sure that somewhere probably in some former reincarnation he had been on familiar terms with it it fascinated and perplexed him he forced his eyes away from it then he knew he was going mad yesterday the paper had been covered with enormous blue daisies attached to green-brown rose-leaves on a yellow ground to-day it was grey with a frieze in pastel shades of blue and rose also daphne never fled from apollo on the pub wall of that he was certain once more he closed his eyes trying to realize that he knew the facts of his personality and environment he determined that come what might he would keep sane he tried to go over what had happened the day before he supposed it was the day before they had walked up from the pub they had seen the cottage they had met his eyes opened and met again the woolly cap now he knew where he had seen it before now he knew where he had got to but what had happened it came back to him slowly the ride to kaiwaka on a cranky horse the long wait for mr king whom he had been determined to see the setting out again in the dusk the onslaught of the storm the accident the oblivion the slow return to consciousness the discovery that he was off the road the sickening fight against stupor the long desperate struggle to reach the river the stimulus of the red mill lamps the last drag along the beach below the cliffs and up the slope towards a light and finally wonderful music he was very tired by the time he had pieced it all together and he realized that he was very ill he found that he could not move without pain and faintness, so he lay still, trying not to think. But indistinct impressions of people, of faces, eyes, and low voices came and went in his subconsciousness. When he was able to open his eyes again, they rested on rows and rows of books, on plain shelves, opposite the foot of his bed. By degrees he realized different things in the room. A Verestchagin print, the very incarnation of loneliness, one big palm tree, one vulture, one tiger, and one heap of a man in a jungle clearing. He saw Birkeland's Isle of Death. He saw Tivoli and Venice and the fighting Temeraire, as Turner saw them. And he saw prints and etchings of old masters and cathedrals. From a corner by the window, the winged victory of Samothrace seemed to be leaping at him, and over the top of an old silver bowl of glorious roses that stood behind his bed, he could see the head and shoulders of a small Venus de Milo and parts of brass candlesticks and bronze ornaments on a high mahogany bureau it all seemed so unreal that he had to open his eyes again upon it several times to be sure that it was really there beside that lonely river feeling the strain of consciousness and enjoyment he dropped off into an uneasy sleep just before lynn stole in again to watch beside him ross had been ill for four days for the first two either bruce or asia had been beside his bed every moment for his chill had turned to pneumonia. Lynn had been with him all the time, dozing fitfully on an improvised bed on the floor. 
he had faithfully obeyed all orders without fuss and wisely saw that it was not the time to look significantly at asia or to take her kindness and hospitality for more than it was worth for the first two nights ross had been delirious and in his fever as he tossed and turned he had begged and implored somebody or something to leave him alone over and over again he had appealed with pitiful intensity to that invisible implacable foe his misery brought tears to asia's eyes and affected even bruce poor devil he's been terribly worried he said to her as they watched on the sixth night after lynn and asia had watched him fall asleep the crisis well past he thought the situation was advanced sufficiently for him to tell her the story i suppose you know he's married he began oh yes i knew that in sydney she answered lightly then as she appeared interested he went on to tell her of the wretched marriage to a pretty heartless girl who thought she had brains and temperament but who instead had the kind of hysteria that is the hardest in the world to deal with she could be so charming to the people she hoped to get something out of that there were not many who knew what a hell she made of life for her husband finally he had had to leave her providing generously for her out of a small private income but she had pursued him wherever she could even into his law classes and to his public meetings where she had on several occasions made disgraceful scenes worn out temporarily with work for his political party wishing to study law in peace and sick to death of her ross had stolen off to new zealand his departure known only to a few friends who were to try to see in his absence if something could not be done with her most of what lynn told her asia knew already as she had had sidelights on ross from various angles she hid her amusement when lynn tried to make it plain that when ross was rested he would return to his law exams his politics and his career and that in future women would be mere incidents by the way she was much too discerning a person not to see why he thus casually disposed of his friend's plans but she let him talk on at the end of another week ross was well enough to take liberties with the situation but he did not take them he ignored whether deliberately or not asia could not say the privileges allowed to the sick he was an admirable patient pitifully grateful for all the attention paid him and patient to a degree that surprised his nurses he gave numerous signs of which he was unconscious of the trying experience through which he had passed while he was very ill he had been indifferent as to who sat with him but as he grew better his eyes began to follow asia wistfully about the room and he kept looking at the door when she was out but it was not until two nights before alice returned that he attempted to take asia's hand as she sat alone beside him End of chapter 23